are doing well. I hope that you loved Ashley's interview last week. If you didn't listen to it, it was real, it was raw, and it was so good to hear from the perspective of a birth mom. Go back and listen to that. Share it with anyone who needs to hear what it's like for the birth mom side of things of adoption, right? Well, today we have a guest, Mary Ann. She actually is an adoptee, so she has the perspective of being an adoptee and being someone who was adopted as an infant. And we hear all the time that if you're an infant, that you have no trauma and life is pretty much exactly like any other kid for you. And there's really no issues around adoption that we need to deal with because you were so young when you were placed with your family. And she kind of dis debunks that myth. Like she tells us that, no, there were questions about not belonging. And regardless of how amazingly loving her adoptive parents are, she still had questions about her family of origin. Um, she saw on her birth certificate that her dad had surrendered his rights or that he wasn't involved. So she was like, huh, I wonder what that was about. So she had questions growing up and then she had to deal with all kind of the, the social things that come up, right? When you know you're adopted or somebody asks you questions. So she kind of walks us through what it's like, even if you're adopted as an infant, to kind of carry the adoption label or adopted label. And, uh, you know, horses were something that really helped her. She's a horse lover and she is also wanting to start a Stable Moments program. So that is how we met. I think you guys are going to love her. Let's do this. I'm Rebecca Britt and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. Hey, Marianne, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm excited to hear your story and bring the adoptee perspective to our community. So go ahead and introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about what you know about how you became adopted. Okay. So my name is Mary Ann and I was born and raised in North Carolina. Um, I was adopted as soon as, well, five weeks after I was born, but my mother who was, you know, was pregnant with me was 17 when I was born. Um, birth father basically left her from what I was told, um, was older than her, did not want anything to do with either one of us is what I was told. So I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina in the hospital. And five weeks later, my parents brought me home. Um, growing up, they always told me I was adopted. So I always knew 
um, they had this book that I would actually read to me. It had pictures. It was called Why Was I Adopted? It was a book for kids, but I always knew. So it was never something that I wasn't sure of. Like I always knew. And as a kid, it, I didn't really think about it as much, but when I became in my teen years, I started thinking about it more like, man, I wonder where they are. I wonder what they look like. I wonder what they're like, if they even think about me. Um, so I always knew that I was adopted and especially getting into my teen years, I started to notice how it affected my thought process. I would think about it more. I would have more questions, you know, um, I would, yeah. I would look at the adoption paperwork, which listed my birth parents, like how tall they were, their hair color, eye color. And I just wanted to know, I wanted to know yeah. who I looked like. And I wanted to know, did they even care? And I always had this assumption that, well, my birth father didn't care because here on the paper, it says denied paternity. So for me, that was like, okay, he doesn't care, but I hope she does, you know? Yeah. Did you, do you know why your um, parents adopted? Do you know their story? Yeah. Um, so they were married, gosh, um, like 16 years before they adopted me and then they had adopted my brother four years prior. So they were married for quite a while. Um, they weren't able to have children. So their original plan of course was to have their own biological children, but they were not able to. Um, now I will say that they were the most loving and kind and patient, caring people ever. Um, I got so lucky being adopted into that family. Um, they were, they really loved me. The, the mom who raised me has been dead now over 11 years. She had cancer. Um, and my dad's still living. Um, cause they were older when they adopted us. They were in their late thirties. Um, which is, you know, typically older than most people are when they start a family. Sure. Um, so they were amazing parents. Like these people wanted to be parents. We weren't to them. We weren't just mistakes we were they wanted us and that meant a lot that that's awesome yeah it sounds like they were a little bit ahead of their time even with the the books saying like why was I adopted and really making sure that you understood that and um because I know that there are plenty of adoptions that were closed and a lot of people didn't even tell children that they were adopted so it sounds like they maybe got some counsel or just knew that the best thing was to be honest and have that communication with you. Yeah. And was it set up from the beginning to not have communication with your birth mom? Like, was there any, I don't even know if open adoptions existed or. It was 1986 because I'm 34 now. Um, So I, in my case, it was closed. Like I was not allowed to have her name. I was not allowed to have anything. And neither were they. Um, She did write me a letter, which was in a, like a fireproof box that they had. And it was for me, Mm -hmm. like, as I got older, but their house got broken into and the box got stolen. So I never got that letter. Um, But yeah, I mean, I had nothing other than hair and eye color, height, weight. That was it. It was kind of a case of they had always told me when you turn 18, if you want to look for her, you can. Yeah. So as, as you grew up and you said, you know, you always knew you were adopted, but it was really later on that you started to realize like 
I wonder who I look like and I wonder if they care about me. How did like being adopted present itself in the community? Like did other people know you were adopted? What, you know, was that the story? Um, how did that come up in like your relationships yeah. in the community? So it was known that we were adopted. My parents didn't keep it from people. Um, I remember my mom telling me like they put this big pink bow on the box and everybody knew they were adopting. And, you know, fa family friends knew that we were adopted. So it was not anything that they kept secret. Um, they were, everybody was really nice to me about it in our circle of, you know, family friends and family members. We were always told you were chosen, you were wanted. Um, so it was a very positive, um, it was positive in the environment that my brother and I were in. Um, but you know, I'd start, when I would start going to school, I would have kids ask me, well, where are your real parents? And why are you adopted? Do you know where you came from? And, and the questions like that, eventually they, they started getting to me, you know? Yeah, no, I, I can totally imagine that. So how did you navigate that? Did it start making you feel like you were different? Well, I mean, I had no contact with my birth parents, but I did talk to my adoptive parents about it. They would just tell me, you know, we chose you. We wanted you. Um, don't feel bad when people ask you those questions. They really tried to instill that in us. My brother, it's like it never bothered him at all. Um, but for me, mm. I still felt not good enough. Um, mm. It was like this automatic thing, especially when I hit my teen years. I always felt like deep down, I'm not good enough. Um, I wasn't wanted. Something's wrong with me. I was thrown away, especially when I would read that paper and see birth father denied paternity. I'm thinking, why didn't you want me? You know, why, why were you embarrassed? Why were you ashamed? You know, that really hurt. And it hurt the older I get, like the older I would get more into my teen years, the more I would think about it. Um, so my parents did everything they could to make us feel loved and wanted. But unfortunately, in my case, I still struggled. Did you feel like you also shouldn't be struggling? Because I feel like uh, there's a, pers a perspective of, you know, you're lucky that you were adopted at birth by this family that loves you. And, you know, you have no reason to feel X, Y, and Z. Like, sometimes I feel like there's not permission for adoptees to feel the way that they do. So did you get that at all? I did. Not from my parents. Like, my parents didn't, you know, try to tell me, well, you can't feel that way. I personally feel that nobody can tell you how to feel. Yeah. Other people would be like, oh, you should be grateful. You should be thankful. You shouldn't feel that way. And it made me feel like, well, something's wrong with me more, even more, because mm. here I am not feeling grateful enough. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've realized that we should be allowed to feel those emotions because they're real. It's very real. Yeah, absolutely. I know that a lot of people say, and all the time people will say like, oh no, my kid doesn't have any trauma. They were adopted at birth or no, my kid doesn't have any trauma. He was two or, or whatever. So talk to me about what trauma you feel like you had, um, just from having, uh, to not stay with your family of origin, just being adopted. 
Well, um, it was definitely trauma. Um, and anybody that says people that are adopted at birth don't have trauma, that's not true at all. Um, I didn't know it was trauma at the time, but as I got older, I realized that's what it was. Um, mm -hmm. Just not knowing who you look like, feeling this sense of not belonging, no matter how much somebody loves you and is good to you, feeling this sense of not belonging. Um, that I think was really hard for me, even in like social groups, friendships, um, at school, uh, I was made fun of, I was bullied, I was teased, not for being adopted, but I was very sensitive and very, my feelings got hurt easily. And I think for a lot of kids, I was a very easy target. And I think it was because I internalized those feelings of not being wanted and not being good enough and feeling like I had to earn people's love, if that makes mm. sense. As an adult, caused me to even end up in repetitive, the repetitive cycle of abusive relationships. Of course, not now. My husband is amazing. Um, but it was always this feeling of I'm not good enough. I have to earn somebody's love. I have to earn someone's acceptance. I am not enough on my own. Yeah. So what do you think the community could have done? Kids, other adults in the area could have done to help you with those feelings or to give you that, you know, you are good enough. I think just allow you room to, or allow us room to talk, to explain how we're feeling and why, and not telling us you can't feel that way or you shouldn't feel that mm -hmm. way. Allowing these people who are adopted to share what they feel and just listening. Um, as far as the kids, the kids just, they've got to really be, be careful and, and watch how you talk to people. Don't ask us, why didn't your parents want you? Or don't ask us, why don't, you know, you're adopted, you know, don't say you don't look like your parents, you know, we already know that. Um, just, try to just be more sensitive to things like that and understand that a lot of us just want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to feel normal. Mm -hmm. Were there other adoptees that you knew of in your area? A couple. I know my parents were in this group and they were, we would get together with some of those other parents who had adopted like on holidays. Um, I, over time, I met a few people at school that were adopted it didn't seem to affect them like it did me. But again, like I didn't really, I didn't really talk to them about their experience. They just kind of nonchalantly would say, Oh, I'm adopted too. But I never really got in deep talking to anyone else about their story. Um, this was kind of like middle school, high school. I don't even remember anybody that I knew that was adopted like me, but middle school is when I really started to feel that sense of who am I? Am I good enough? Things like that. Yeah, because I was wondering, I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if a support group would have helped like just to have um, other adoptees around that you can feel validated. But I could imagine that could be even worse if you get around a bunch of adoptees and they're all like, we don't have those feelings either. And then you feel even, even more well, kind of isolated. Yeah. I would say a support group probably wouldn't be a bad thing as long as it's the people that are there want to be there. Like the yeah. people that are there have those same feelings. You can all discuss it, talk to each other about it. I think that would have been good. Um, now that you mentioned mm -hmm. that just as long as the people there kind of had similar feelings that they weren't being forced to go, but that they wanted to go and wanted to talk it out. Yeah. 
So um, these feelings of not belonging, not being good enough, you know, having a lower self-worth because you feel like, you know, you weren't wanted. At what point did you, were you able to like get your healing and, and kind of work through that? Obviously you, you have worked through some of that because you've talked about the relationships that kind of came of it and now you have a good relationship. So what kind of helped you work through that? Honestly, um, like I said, as a teen and adult, I would settle for men that would hurt me. It happened over and over. And each time I would feel like something's wrong with me. And deep down, I would feel like, well, maybe I just deserve this. And as a child, I always had an interest in horses. So I would, I had lessons and at 11, I bought my first horse by selling those Beanie Babies, if you remember those. Um, <laughs> But it was really after adulthood, um, like in my 20s, I, there was like a shift when I first volunteered at a therapeutic farm. And it was for disabled kids and kids who had been through trauma. And the, after the first day I went there, I was like, oh my goodness, this is what I need to do. I love this. Like it healed me just doing that, um, mm -hmm. helping them. I. I I don't know why, <laughs> um, but I remember talking to some of the kids there that just felt like they weren't good enough and I could totally relate. And the horses, like they're just so healing. I cannot describe to you. I would spend hours with the horses just saying nothing, just sitting with them. Mm -hmm. um, and to this day, I still do that. We've got two horses, a donkey and a pony out here um, <laughs> at our farm and um you know, no matter what I was going through, that was always something I knew I could go to that would bring me peace. Um, and really my husband who I am married to now, he's been huge. He has been a huge part of my healing because he's the mm. first person to validate me and treat me like a human. Um, mm. I don't, I'm not going to go into everything that happened with the other, other people that I was with, but, um, I faced some pretty horrific experiences and my husband now he's just like he's precious um he's just so sweet and he loves me and he supports he supports me wanting to help other people because that's something mm -hmm. I've always really as since being an adult been driven to do is I want other people to know that they aren't alone that they are good enough that they are wanted that somebody knows how they feel um mm -hmm. and I want to be able to share how much the horses and the animals helped me by kind of paying that forward, you know, um, because I know yeah. if it helped me, it can help anybody. Yeah. And what I love about that is it wasn't, it actually was not like this super structured program that you were doing for yourself. I mean, it was like you were at a farm you were in the environment and healing environment and you were able to work through that. And sometimes, um, you know, one of the big principles of the stable moments model, even though it's very structured is to let go of the agenda because it's like, we don't know, you know, clinicians or educators or we, we can't think that we always know. And that's kind of the beautiful healing nature of horses is that it's in their nature. So we don't need to create something just so like a lot of it just happens super organically. And I've talked to a lot of people that 
they were like, I don't know. I spent time in a pasture with a horse and they were like, we didn't really do anything. And you were making like these huge breakthroughs. And sometimes when I think back to like some of my trauma and um, how my horse helped me through it, it was like sitting in his stall. Yep. Like it was the moments that he let me be me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. That is spot on. Um, I will literally go outside and lay down in a pile of hay in between all of them and just lay there. And it's the best feeling. Um, and I feel like despite the things I've been through, I am a very happy person. And they always say your horse is kind of a mirror to you, to your soul. And they came to me at different times with different personalities, but Mm. honestly, they're all like, they all come running when they see me, all of them. And it just, it just brings me so much joy. You know, they, they crowd around me. They're they're always there. (laughs) Um, They're always waiting for me. And it, it just makes a big difference. Um, like I said, I could just sit there and just be, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, it, it's so powerful. So I know that you uh, said that you did end up reunifying with your parents at some point, your birth parents. So tell us about um, how that went or how that came about and how that went. Well, when my mother who raised me uh, got sick with cancer, I remember her sitting across the table and her saying, I think it's time for you to find your birth mother. And she said, I'm not going to be here. I want you to have someone. So she had gotten me a paper where I could fill it out and turn it into the adoption agency. And so when I went in and had a meeting with their social worker, it's like pre-counseling to kind of prepare you for the possible outcomes. I flat out said, I don't want to meet my birth father. I just want to meet my mother. Um, And she's like, well, you never know. You might want to give them a chance too. But in my mind, I was thinking about her and that was it. Mm -hmm. So I reunited with her and it's been 10 years and we talk every day. Um, She lives. Oh yeah. I mean, she's got horses. She's a horse girl. Um, We're very close. Um, We're, we're, we're in contact all the time. I see her all the time. Um, we were just there this past weekend. Um, my grandparents on that side are very, um, loving. They embrace me. Um, it's just, it's, it's a great relationship all around on that side. My birth father, however, uh, I met him 10 years ago, October, and I knew him for about a month. Um, he's married, um, had two children with his wife and, um, at first he was calling me regularly, emailing me. And I was like, oh my gosh, to have both of my parents want me, this means everything. I felt so complete. Mm. That's the word I can describe as complete. But what ended up happening is, um, his wife, this is what he said to me. Um, did not like him being in contact with me. And eventually she said, you know, you can't, you can't talk to her. And I had a lot of trouble letting go. Um, like I didn't send him any, cause he, I remember him sending me an email and saying, we can't talk anymore, but please don't email me back either because my wife's upset. She doesn't want us to talk and I'm sorry. So I I think I mailed him a couple letters to his place of of work um, and just told him that 
I still loved him. I still cared. I just wanted him to be in my life. And, um, it got to the point where I was just so frantic for him to accept me. Cause I felt like I was being thrown away all over again. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being at work and being so upset that I had to go in the bathroom and like sit down because I was about to throw up. Mm. Um, and somebody had to bring me ice because I was like, this is had to be the trauma of abandonment all over again. Mm-hmm. Just feeling like this person who, you know, is half of me, half of my DNA doesn't want me. Um, and you know, it just, it was a hurt that I, I, I remember crying every day driving to work, just feeling like, why am I not good enough? Mm-hmm. And um, I did like a, a DNA test with his older son from his previous marriage. Um, and it came back 90, 99%. And I remember mailing him the, the, the test results and I mailed a copy to his wife. And I told her that I just wanted to be in their lives. I didn't want to hurt anybody. And um, the little, is a small town, the town they lived in wanted to do a a story on my reunion with my wow. half brother at the time. And they did. Apparently that did not go over well at all. Um, that embarrassed them. Mm-hmm. And I remember his sister ended up calling my birth mother and saying, we are done with her. She is not part of this family. How dare she embarrass my brother? She is to never contact us again. We don't want her. Um, it was horrifying. And then I remember one time it was on Facebook. I was kind of swiping through people, you may know, and I saw he had made one and I was like, Oh my gosh. But I accidentally clicked the ad friend and I undid it, but apparently it was too late. Someone had seen it. His wife had seen it. So she sent me a message and, and she was very nasty. She said, you know, he wants nothing to do with you. You're an accident. Um, and this, she claimed Christianity. She had Bible verses on her page. And I was thinking, how can you say this to me? I remember when I read that message, I was at work that day. I had to go sit down by myself and I just lost it. I was in tears. I was sobbing. You know, I hurt. It hurt so bad when someone literally tells you, you are a mistake. We don't want you. And that's the last I ever heard from them. Wow. And so you know, again, a lot of this was coming from his wife, but still that sting of that, that pain, it hurt so bad. I cannot tell you how bad it hurt. And, you know, I would find out things she had said about me, just cruel and, you know, telling her children that I wasn't their sister. And I even would run into them in public sometimes and they'd laugh at me. Um, my father would just turn his head like I didn't exist. And it hurts so bad. You know, I was thinking, here's this younger brother and sister I wanted in my life and I'll never get that chance. They hate me for existing. And it it just made me feel even more like I'm a mistake. You know, that's how I felt at that time. I was like, how can somebody be this cruel? And I remember saying, all right, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, all I wanted was to be loved. And I'm sure, I mean, I know there's things that I probably shouldn't have done like that news story if it, I didn't ever want to embarrass anybody, but it probably came across that way. Um, But 
as far as healing from that, it's still a process for me. Um, but my husband and my animals have definitely been two of the biggest reasons that I've been able to heal. Um, and I guess I just have to keep reminding myself that what they, you know, the things that were said about me, um, is a reflection on them and not me. Yeah. Did your, and I like, I feel like the, you know, one of the things that we want from our dads and that paternal energy is standing up for us, right. And we're protecting us. And so the whole dynamic of kind of choosing his wife over you or not at least trying to be a buffer. Um, I can see that as being even an, an added layer of, why don't you want to stick up for me? And I, I wanted a relationship with his wife too. I didn't want to leave her out. Sure. Um, I told her and her, and I would mail, I mailed her a couple letters and I was like, look, I, I love you. I want to be part of your life too. I, I, I respect the fact that you guys are married. I don't want to come in between that, but I just want us to be a family. Um, but it was very obvious that she wasn't having it. Um, and you know, I still don't, I don't hate any of them. Um, I still have love for them all, even though they hurt me like, like they did. Um, I've just shut myself off to ever trying to contact them again. I won't do it. Um, it's too much trauma. It's too much hurt. It's, you know, I threw away all the pictures from our reunion. Um, I just, I had to block that out. Mm -hmm. Did your um, birth mom like help you process any of that? Oh yeah. Yeah. We talked a lot and she just kept telling me, you know, it's not you, it's him. It's not you, it's them. Um, and you know, one day they'll have to answer for it. And oh yeah, I can't tell you the number of hours I've spent talking to her about it in person and on the phone. I mean, cause we're both in North Carolina, so, you know, we're not far from each other, but oh yeah, she helped a ton. Well, I'm so, so grateful that you have that relationship with her. And I love that you guys both like horses and that you're into that. Um, I imagine it was like so much just catching up on what was your life. Cause she was 17. So okay. she had a whole life that, you know, took place and, and you did. So that's a really good story uh, on the birth mom side. And yeah, it's, you really represent both sides of the, this could be tragic and this could be idealized. Yeah. Do you feel like mm -hmm. before you met your birth parents, you had idolized what they would be like? Um, yeah. You do. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Oh man, I would think about it all the time. You know, what they look like and just imagining being able to have this happy reunion and this happy life with them. Um, I wanted that so much. And I just, I would constantly think about it um, every day, every day. I can't think of a day that I didn't think about it. Um, it was such a big part of my thoughts about, you know, who I was and I just, I wanted it so much. Yeah. Do you feel like regardless of the outcome, you feel like there has been some closure? Like you at least know where you stand with your birth parents? Yeah, I do. Um, definitely has been closure. Um, 
being raised in such a loving family, a loving environment, um, I want to say I was probably kind of sheltered. So it was very difficult for me to process someone being a parent and acting the way that they did mm-hmm. um, because I'd never really experienced that. Um, yes, I got closure, but it still hurts if that sense but it's kind of like the stages of grief that you go through. I've gotten to the acceptance phase where, you know, it's been 10 years. I know they're not going to be part of my life and I just have to accept that. But I also kind of use that as a, to fuel uh, what I want to do with my animals, because I know there's other kids that if they haven't been told that, that they're a mistake, they do feel that they are. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to help them. I mean, I want them to know that they're not the only ones. Yeah. So I know that we connected because of the stable moments program. So tell us about your plans and, um, you know, how you envision serving uh, foster and adopted kids. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was really excited. A friend of mine sent me the information. Um, she's, she's somebody that I met at the therapeutic riding farm. Um, back in 2012 and uh, we're still in touch, but she sent me the, uh, the program and I was like, Oh, this sounds really good. So I looked into it and I thought, man, I mean, it would be perfect to do that here um, on the farm that we have. And I would just love to be able to use the horses and any other animals uh, for that matter to be an outreach to kids like that. Um, So I plan to get certified. I've got the book. Um, I'm a special education teacher too. So, and it's my first year teaching. So it's been a little crazy, uh, but it's definitely in the plans. Um, and my husband's all for it. Yeah. Do you think that had you had a mentor um, and a horse and a program like that as a kid, that that would have been helpful to have like a consistent person engage you at the farm? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it would have made a huge difference. I love it. Well, I'm so excited to work with you and help that become a reality for you. Where can we follow you or follow your journey? Um, Are there any, you know, social media or websites or anything that our listeners can follow your journey? Uh, Yeah, Um, I have an Instagram account. I don't know how, how do I, did you just want me to give you the name? You can can give us the name. I will link it in the show notes as well. But if people are listening right now and they're not driving, then they can type it in okay so it's coffee like coffee the drink and then the letter n and then the word chocolate two of my favorite things so coffee in chocolate and then the numbers four two three eight six that's my instagram account um i guess maybe i should make a a facebook page as far as the that journey i haven't thought about that yet it, it will all come and websites and Facebooks are easy and um, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you will post it on your Instagram when, uh, when you're ready to launch all that and people can follow you that way. We will definitely tag you on Instagram. So people that have follow stable moments can, can find you that way as well. really great because I think that there's so many adult adoptees and we just you know especially with um, 
this program or with foster care and how much we emphasize children in foster care, we rarely talk to adult adoptees and get that experience. And I just think that there's a big assumption that it's the end of the story. As soon as a child gets adopted, regardless of if it's in their teens or when they're a baby, that that's the end of the story for them. Um, and it's a happy ending. And as we've seen, like, you had amazing parents, but you were an adult when you had to start dealing with, you, you were mm -hmm. re-traumatized yes. uh, by your birth dad, which is like, it's just messy. It's just, we can't wrap it into a pretty bow, even though we want to. Exactly.